0: Hello and welcome to this very special episode of The Largoifs. I'm one of your hosts,
1: Michelle. I'm Taya.
0: And we have here a really special and wonderful guest. uh, Someone who has been all over the flavor of this newest set, Call Time. Uh, We have Kendra Smith on the line. How's it going? Hello.
2: What's up? Welcome.
0: (laughs) You have been... So on top of all of the flavor and all of like the Easter eggs that we've been seeing so far in this, but well, this is one of the most beautiful sets I've ever seen. Like it's it's so it's so
1: gorgeous, so great. Like yeah.
0: I I have barely been paying attention to any of the set mechanics or anything on the text re- on the yeah. cards because I just look at the card. And I'm like, that art, it's so pretty.
2: We, we were even <laughs> joking about that last night a little bit on Twitter. Like the art is yeah. just great. It's not even just the art though. For me. It's like the names. I'm looking at the mechanics, but I'm not seeing the mechanics. I'm seeing the flavor behind the mechanics. You know?
0: Yes. Yeah. I like, I hear you.
2: There were there was one that I was going on last I'm sorry, but <laughs> was like No worries, uh, we're jumping a
0: little bit, but it's it's worth it.
1: This is yeah. a very Malthos set, definitely.
2: Right. It was the um uh the Certland Frostpire. Yeah. Dropped yesterday. That was the the land the Redland but it had the the blue and red ability that was basically like two damage to each creature. Yeah, I was like, that's that's so oh my god! The flavor on that is so good. <laughs> yeah,
0: no, it seems like uh, wizards did an amazing job bringing in the flavor, the mythology, the culture, the history mm-hmm. of of Norse Norseness, and yeah. yeah th- so we're, we're really excited to discuss these with you. But before we get started, like, let's tell, tell our listeners a little bit about yourself. What's what's up with you? Who so are you? <laughs> who are you?
2: Who am I? I am the Maverick Girl, as you may have seen online, Twitter, Twitch, wherever. I'm all over the place. You know, if, if you could think of a place where magic discussions are being held or whatever, you, you'll probably see me popping up from time to time. Uh, but yeah, I'm... Uh, You know, Kendra Smith, the Maverick Girl. (laughs) And uh, you might know me for, like, uh, Popper, things like that. Trying to branch out a little more from that, but
0: yeah. And uh, when did you start playing Magic?
2: So I started in um, 1999 with a little set called Urza's Legacy. Wow. And... um, I started right around that time frame. Um, Some of the first packs that I ever opened were like Urza's Legacy, Starter 99. I can actually tell you what my first rares were out of booster packs. Like, I just I remember it. It was um, uh, Shivan Phoenix, Quicksilver Amulet, Armageddon. And Dackmore Sorceress. Uh-huh. I think there was like one other one, but like some of like those things. Like, Lurking Scourge was another one. Oh wow! Yeah,
0: yeah. Like, I recognize exactly one of these cards. I started playing in twenty fourteen. It, it so sure, right. I, yeah,
2: sure beats <laughs>
1: opening you know in my first pack getting like a Life Lace or something like that. Oh my
2: god!
1: But I got a Soul Ring, and I still have it. So Heck that's yeah. pretty
2: cool.
0: Yeah, I I opened a Phyto Titan. I remember being really excited about that. <laughs> Especially in sealed, because I was like, it just didn't die. It just kept. It, my big mushroom man. My big mushroom man. Yeah. Still have a lot of fondness for that card, <laughs> yeah. even though it's not terribly good. But right. it,
2: yeah, but for, you know, you for, never
0: forget your first.
2: Right. Exactly. For me, it was like um, <laughs> the whole thing was. It was. If you think about the time frame, there, it was right when Pokemon came out. Ah, oh, that's right. So, um, so, here, so what happened was Pokemon was really taking off. Pokemon Red and Blue had come out the year before. It was all over. You know, all anybody was playing at the time I was in third grade. So obviously I was like right at that ripe age where everyone was kind of really getting into that ton. And um, in early 99, the Pokemon card game started actually coming out with cards. And I remember I bought some stuff with that, like some starter decks, uh, some booster packs here and there. Um, Really kind of picked some stuff up around Jungle. But what happened was uh, I, we also used to do family get-togethers when I was living up in Buffalo, New York, and um, my cousin, who is, like, seven years older than me, saw me and my sibling playing the game and looked at us and went, Hey, that looks a lot like magic. It, for those of you who may not have actually played the Pokemon game but are here for magic, Pokemon is very much like a simplified version of magic in terms of game mechanics and stuff like that. So um, there's a lot of similarities to it, and he recognized that and was like, "Hey, why don't I like grab a couple little decks of jank together and we'll we'll go up to my room and play?" So that's what he did. We did. Uh, he introduced us to it and it was like, "Cool." You know, bought some packs after that. Saw some stuff here and there. There was a uh, uh, my family had enrolled me in a bowling league, and attached to the bowling alley was an actual, like, sport card store. Mm. You, like, oh, wow. you know open a door right through the um, bowling alley and just <laughs> go right into the thing from the back end. And um, and they just had, like, displays of magic cards right there. So between rounds or whatever, at the end of a game, I would just go over there and just be like, hey, I'm going to go buy a booster pack. Nice. <laughs> and do all, you know, things like that.
1: Funny, like, when I started... The places you could buy magic were sports card shops and, like, mm-hmm. Walden books. And that was...
2: That was pretty much where I got mine. Um, it was, for me, it was the the little sports card shop, uh, shop that I went to, which was called B&L Sports. Sports cards, excuse me. Media Play. I don't know if any of you know what Media Play is. It's like a... You might know, like, FYE and stuff like that. Think, like, FYE... On like a, um, or at least as it used to be, you know, all um, just movies, video games, CDs, stuff like that. But on like a the size of like a Walmart or something like that. Oh wow! Like a okay. full, yeah, like a full department yeah. store just dedicated to this kind of media stuff. Obviously, a lot of like physical media has kind of died out a lot more lately these days. But you know, so obviously the the store and the franchise aren't around anymore. But it was a, that was a place where I would go to get a lot of those magic cards. Wilde Books was one of them. Some of you might know David Adams Card World is a big like national retailer for Magic cards, and they're from the Buffalo area. So, you know, I used to go there.
1: Mm-hmm. I
2: remember buying be- copies of like Beta Unholy Strength from a like a bulk bin. Kind yeah.
0: <laughs> Aw, memories.
1: Right. Yeah, I I grew up in upstate New York too, so yeah, a lot of that sounded super familiar. <laughs>
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, I grew up in Texas, so I'm like ah, <laughs> like but cool. <laughs> so you started playing Pokemon. Um, what made you jump over to Magic? I mean, it sounds like your cousin was really, really cool about like introducing you and whatnot. But what what drew you to start playing the game a little bit more deeply?
2: Um, just something a little, you know, a bit different to do. I did like the um, the art. Obviously, uh, you know, the characters seemed cool. There was also, you know, Pokemon had two sets of cards at the time when I was first getting into it. Magic at that point, I don't know the exact number off the top of my head, but probably like 15, 20 sets at that point already. You know, I started in Urza block, so you had three blocks before that, plus five or six other sets, right? So, Mm -hmm. um, but you also had like, that was when they were actually starting to develop a story as well. So, you started to see like uh, Urza Block was when I got into it, and you had all of the things going around, like the Talarian Academy, the Phyrexians. Like, the Phyrexians were front and center right when I was first getting into Magic, essentially. And um, the sets right before Urza Block were still readily available. Like, you know, these days, like, you can't even go back. Like, I can't go to a store right now and readily find, like, uh, Guilds of Ravnica, right? Or, like, Ixalan. You know, maybe if you looked around a little bit online, you could probably find them. But like most stores, usually only have like the last year or two of sets. A lot of the game stores back then, you could actually go into a store and find sets that were like several years old at that point. And um, like at that B and L Sports Cards place, I would buy packs of like Tempest Block. I would buy packs of um, Mirage Block. So like, I just had a, a pretty healthy exposure to a lot of these characters' story. I thought that was just like really cool like seeing gerard and um you know i thought volrath was really cool as a character at least how he looks you know going back and looking at it he's kind of a pushover but you know (laughs) at the time he was like he just looked like a badass it was just very enthralling um but the reality is i think it just gave me something a little different to do (laughs) Mm -hmm. there was a, a period for like a year or two after that where i was really into it but it was like, we would just, you know, it's the whole cards you own thing, right? Mm-hmm. So me and my sibling, we just had 150, 200 card decks. Wow. You know, with whatever we could find. So it was just like random five-color jank decks of just junk. <laughs> and um, no, no sleeves, because sleeves weren't really uh, a thing at the time. And just, you know, just throwing it all together and just playing with each other. Yeah. Um, but then soon after that came uh, Yu-Gi-Oh!, And I played Yu-Gi-Oh! for the first, like, two years of that game being around. So um, I really wasn't into Magic as much during that point in time. And then I came back in Force around, I want to say Onslaught block? Like, you know, late Odyssey block, early Onslaught block. And at that point, I started getting, like, Magic Online, started going F&Ms and things like that. Mm
1: -hmm. (sighs) Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, the aesthetics and the flavor of magic are, are really, really deep. And I understand if you're looking for badassery, you know, Pikachu's not going to really serve that to you as much as Vol'rath. No. And it's just, just like, so I much... mean, it depends. Yeah. It depends, then, I guess. And then
2: especially, like, once I actually found, like, the magic story... Because, like, yes. there was... I mean, obviously, we're here, right? You know, Lord yeah. and everything. Yeah. But um, but at the time, you know, it was like... You know, you read the story through the cards. So you didn't really read mm-hmm. it through a book or anything. Even though they started to kind of put books out around that time period. You know, it wasn't... You just didn't just find them kind of thing. It wasn't like they had fat packs at the time. Um, they, like, started to come out with those. Eventually, they, those started with Mercadian Masks. But they didn't start, like, in the Urza block where I did. So, um it wasn't as easy to find things like the Artifact Cycle books and the Thran and um, Wrath and Storm and books like those. So, um, you know, I wasn't as aware of a lot of this. And so I was just there for, like, oh, this is kind of cool. It's just things like uh, I had a friend in fourth grade introduce me to uh, the Elder Dragon Legends or Legends and Chronicles. And I was like, what? This is cool. You know, everybody has that moment. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, and, But but then I actually bought a fat pack for Judgment. And it actually had the novel with it. And it had the no- the book uh, for Judgment with it. And so I read all about Kamal and Jessica and Balthor. And it was like, that was like where it really hooked me into it. Because then you had that going into Onslaught Block with all of that nonsense. And then into like Mirrodin and onwards. And it was just like... I started buying books left and right. You know, I, I still have some of my originals, not with me right now, but, you know, I just, I still have a bunch of those.
0: Yeah, no, the story, Magic Story is, is a very powerful part of this game. And it's super cool that you just sort of got hooked in immediately. And not only immediately, but like as soon as you dove a little bit deeper, you really just sort of embraced, I think, with both hands. Right. Um, which it, is, it, yeah. It was,
2: and that's kind of what it was. It's just, like you said, it's like the aesthetics. Yeah. The gameplay was very deep, and it's only gotten deeper as I've obviously, you know, grown and started to really learn and play the game more as a, a competitive player. But, like, just the aesthetics, the, um, the gameplay, the story, and it's just kind of, like, the whole everything about the game was just so cool where, you know, at the time, it was like Pokemon only had, like, a really finite kind of limitations, and I really started feeling that. Um, kind of early on, you know, I was into the craze yeah. really hard during red and blue, and then gold and silver. But like, once ruby and sapphire hit, I didn't own any copies of those. I bought a copy of like diamond, I think, in high school. Like, but this is like years later. The card game had you know really dropped off. Even magic wasn't as popular at that time. Um, I moved from New York to Florida in 2005, and just uh, I couldn't get games of magic in for the life of me. I actually sold out at one point in two thousand eight because I just couldn't find anyone. It's like, why do I have these cards still?
1: Mm
0: -hmm. Wow, that's hard to even imagine. I mean, then the (laughs) recession hit, and everyone's like, no. Yeah, Um, yeah, that's a really good point. You know, take that, Pokemon. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I suppose when your your main plot is a is a ten year old boy roaming around the countryside capturing small creatures, there's really not
2: too far you can go with that. Right, and the, you know uh, the, I mean, the card game only has so much depth to it as well. Yeah. you know it, it's still a fun game. I, I I highly recommend it, especially you know and I'll say it right now. You know, like we all know, Magic, frankly, isn't really in the best spot as ter- in terms of gameplay. And I do think if people want a fun little experience to kind of get away from that, like. Um, loading up the Pokemon TCG online game and playing with some theme decks is a great time.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. It's it's fun. It's a different kind of fun, but it's absolutely fun.
2: It's more like a sure. simplified fun, but it's it's just like, you know, it's just so simple and it's just easy and yeah. it's fun. My,
0: my friend is made of whipped cream and is going to go fight for me. That's great. Let's go do
2: yeah.
1: this. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, my son started learning magic at like five, he didn't really know how to play until he was seven, but when all of his classmates started getting into Pokemon around nine or ten, he tried it, and he's like, this is too easy. I don't want to do
2: this. Right. It's, it's really fun for a while, and yeah. then, like, it has its limitations until you start getting, again, into, like, the really competitive stuff. You know, mm-hmm. like, the, I, I know all of the... I have friends who are really into the competitive scene, especially because... Um, it didn't. I didn't touch on this at all. But I work at CoolStuffInc.com. Mm-hmm. Uh, I actually work mm-hmm. at their, their main location, and uh, so we have people who play all the different card games. You know, um, we have the Magic players. And I'm obviously one of the more knowledgeable people f- uh, for the game with that. But then you've got like the Yu-Gi-Oh players, the Pokemon players. We even have someone who's like a bit of an expert with versus system and things like that. So I hear all the different things about all the different games and what's going on with all of them. And like Pokemon, it's like, it seems really simple, but the moment you start hitting that competitive stuff, boy, does it get crazy.
1: Yeah.
0: Oh, yeah, I can completely imagine that.
1: You know, that's a lot about why you got into magic, which is really cool. I always love hearing people's stories. Uh, That's been like one of my favorite things doing these interviews. What's your favorite format currently and why?
2: So, I am going to say Legacy, probably. Like I said before, everybody knows me for Popper. And that's because, you know, I really became well known for Popper. I just uh, played it like crazy for a bit. I won some pretty major Popper tournaments a couple times. I won the Star City Classic, the one and only Popper Star City Classic event. What was the other one I won or I didn't win it, but I came like second in some uh, a popper championship at a GP Richmond a couple years ago. So everybody knows me for this format. I'm just gonna say that that is not my favorite format and never really has been and getting into it was more of a necessity from the fact that it was a budget format because budget formats are pretty cool if you're looking for a cheap way to get back into magic but my my true love is Legacy. I I love Legacy. I think it's a really deep uh, format with a lot of great gameplay. I get to obviously kind of like popper as well. I get to play with a lot of the cards that I grew up with. But the uh, the problem with Legacy is it's kind of expensive. Yeah. <laughs> as, as, you don't as, say. <laughs> as as we all know, and um, and it, you know it's it's both not really as supported as it used to be, and um. The other factor was there was a period where i actually had a bunch of stuff you know i'm known as the maverick girl yeah i was gonna say that and it's because (laughs) one of my favorite decks of all time to play with is maverick and legacy and what happened is i actually made a username on magic online as the maverick girl based on that and then uh, like a year or so later became known for playing pauper elves on in pauper and all that and it's just like so everybody knows me as playing pop for with elves, but nobody really talks about me with Maverick, and it's kind of funny. But I had the deck, and I actually sold it for some stuff, personal stuff that was going on in my life. And uh, and the reason I used to go hard on this, like I, there was a period of time where I had, like, seven legacy decks. The, the reason that I uh, was able to do that was because, you know, I was at college, I didn't really have a lot in terms of, like, you know, responsibilities, bills, things like that. Then I got into you know out of out of college. You no, know, now I got to pay student loans. Now I've got a bit or a car, and I've got car insurance. You know, now I've got all this other stuff, and oh, at some point now I got rent, and it's like I, I can't afford this Legacy deck. So uh, let's play some Popper. But the reality, I like I love Legacy, um, and I guess if we're if I'm not playing a constructed format or anything, then I would probably see Cube. Mm-hmm. I just think there's so many different things you could do with Cube that makes it. Um, Uh, A new experience every time you play with it, really. Yeah.
0: Yeah. No, I love limited formats personally, so I'm with you on cube. I always feel like limited's like improv and constructed. It's like a stand up routine, (laughs) almost. I see that. Yeah. 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 It's sort of it's it's a little scripted. You know, you've got to you've got to save time for the beats and whatnot. But for improv, you're just like, what did I open and what is being passed to me, and I've got to make something coherent from this.
2: Right. You have Um, some fun with it. Um, I just think with legacy, like it's so focused and so honed in at this point, there's a lot of real like richness to it. You have mm-hmm. the, the, the memes with it and the jokes with it is that, oh, you're dead on turn one. And like that happens, that actually happened to me in Eternal Weekend. Wow. This like this past year, I had a, uh, uh, I was playing Elves in Legacy and my opponent was on one land spot, or not one land spot, that's a pauper deck. Um, oops, all spells. So they're not playing mm-hmm. any lands, really. And they just turn one me. Oh wow! <laughs> and they just got uh, me. you know, it's like yeah, sometimes you get got, but then I for every one of those that happens, I have a uh, a match where my game one took forty minutes.
1: Yeah, you know, it's were, really a wonderful format. I
2: yeah.
1: When I played more often, I played sneak and show, and yeah, occasionally I'd get the you know turn one, emmer cool, good game, but you right. know a lot of times it would be just you know, who can eke out that last little bit of advantage to.
2: Yeah. I'm not going to lie. Yet. Like I, I, um, cause I would always played against sneak It show before and I actually played with it like a year and a half ago, uh, before the pandemic, I brought a friend yeah. over and we just started jamming some legacy on magic online. And I, because I have a loan account, you know, I borrowed out sneak at show. I'm like, sure, we'll try this. And it was like, wow, well, it's a lot harder to pilot than it looks. <gasps> It like yeah. it looks like it's so simple, right? You just play your your like soul lands, your and your lotus petals and whatnot, yeah. just to, to spit out your creature real fast. And it's like, no, there's actually a lot more nuance to this. <laughs> so,
0: let's move on to call time. So, like I keep mentioning, you've been so prolific on Twitter with your excitement about this set and especially about Norse mythology. Tell us about, like, when you when did you start learning about Norse mythology? Like, and what drew you to that very specific setting so, and, like, literary sphere?
2: So, there's a lot of factors with this. One of the bigger ones is that, as many people may or may not know, I am a metalhead. And I have been for years— to be honest, it's a, and I was, you know, I've talked a little bit about this on Twitter recently and such. It's it's a bit of a more of like a coping mechanism than anything. You know, I do like a lot of other things. So, you know, I I don't always like it when it's kind of like my brand at this point, but it's like it's it is what it is, right? And um there is a lot of that Norse Viking imagery, you know, metal's a lot of like attitude, badassery and everything and Epicness is a, another big thing, you know. Uh, you have things like power metal where it's not necessarily the aggressive stuff, but it's like, um, it's very like, intense, I think it, it's yeah. very epic, mm-hmm. and yeah. um, and I really got deep into metal. And I mean, like, if you could think of a, a metal genre, I've probably listened to it, you know, in some form or fashion, um, minus like one or two things I can think of off the top of my head, like, I've I've never really touched like stoner metal, for example. <laughs> but um, that's not my scene. But I got into like black metal, which is that very dark, you know, it played off of a lot of like satanic stuff and everything. But there's like an offshoot of that, which is Viking metal. Now I know when people think Viking metal, they think a Monomarth, right? But if you actually <laughs> listen if you actually look up a Monomarth and look at what they have to say about that, they actually say, we're not really Viking metal we more death metal with Viking themes. Mm-hmm. Viking metal is a lot more like black metal, or they use actual like classic folk instruments with their music. Or Amon is more about the intensity and the the epic storytelling uh, in the lyrics with the music kind of thing. And I started getting into a lot more of just in that stuff. Uh, I started exploring a lot of things. Uh, you had bands like Bathory was known for being a very influential black metal band. And you know they started with a lot of that satanic imagery and everything like that. But then, because a lot of these bands um, in that early black metal scene were very um, based in like Norway, Sweden, uh, places like that, they actually started to branch out more into a lot of like Vikings and Norse mythology and stuff like that. And I started looking around and I actually started getting to know a few people on the internet, uh, who told me about things like uh, Asatru? and I, I may be pronouncing that wrong. I've never actually heard someone actually say the word to me, but it's um, it's basically modern-day Norse paganism. It's uh, it's uh, like a reconstructionist movement kind mm. of thing, and they—they they were using like some weird butchered kind of thing where they were mixing it with like Wicca and Satanism, and it was just weird. But it got me interested. You know, I started looking into it on my own time. I started finding books, looking into different places on the internet, like Reddit and stuff like that. And I started exploring a lot of that. You know, and uh, I'm going to be honest with you. I don't talk about it very much because um, as I know has been showing up quite a bit recently in the news with things like the uh, uh, capital insurrection, stuff like that. um, There are a lot of like white supremacists and neo-nazis who like to appropriate the a lot of the imagery and symbolism and uh that's very common even in a lot of these people who are in are like groups who are into like norse paganism and stuff like that and so i just i just, i don't want anything to do with them <laughs> like why why would i want to be associated with that <laughs>
0: Absolutely. I mean, it sounds like also a lot of what those folks are doing with this belief is also just not consistent with, you know, the actual tenets of it, which is pretty par par for the course for a lot of religions. It really is, Um, especially in things like
2: Reconstructionist and all that. You also see um, there's a lot of other people in the magic community, like on Twitter and such like that, who are into this but aren't very vocal about it. I could tell you who some of these people are, but they don't talk about it, you know? And I don't even talk to them about it, but I've seen things and I can see, yeah, they're into this. And mm-hmm. it's just, nobody wants to talk about it because nobody wants this stigma. Nobody wants this association with themselves. I've had, um, I'm not wearing one right now because my, um, the like leather band for it broke, but um, like I normally actually wear a Mjolnir. Mm -hmm. it's uh, made of amber you know some people recognize that some people don't but when people um uh, i've had people tell me like see that i'm wearing one and they'll tell me yeah if you wore that where i am from you would be treated as a nazi and it's like hmm that's good
1: yeah it it sucks a lot it really does
0: it it sucks a lot because like the heritage of like viking and norse mythology etc it's actually very like multicultural so cool. and there's a lot of like egalitarian like equality between genders and it's like the actual it's one of those like yes you can look at history or like this version of history and be content with like the tldr version but if you actually looked a little bit deeper you would see like there's, so there's cool serious things. amounts of intercultural like...
2: And even what you're saying, things things like the gender and that, I could even point out uh, several things like that. Like, um, obviously, yeah. and this is kind of diving into some of the stuff I know we're going towards later, but like, one of the things that you see a lot of right now in Kaldheim is like, there's a lot of shapeshifters and mm-hmm. changelings have come about because of that and everything. And that's because like, a lot of these like gods and everything and characters in Norse mythology take very many different shapes very many forms loki for example most people know him just as like the the trickster and whatnot you see him in like a marvel super hot tom hiddleston yeah right, exactly. super hot yeah. tom hiddleston <laughs> we, He dances really well what people yeah. we don't know are like where he, uh, he he pretends to be a giantess named um i can't remember her name off the top of my head talk or something like that. And that goes, in the lore with that is something like, um, I'm trying to look this up now.
0: I mean, didn't he, didn't he like get, give birth in this he form did. as well? Yeah. yeah. Not, not in this like, form. I believe, okay. so not this form. So
2: this, okay. the story from this particular point is that, um, this, is, this is one of the things that actually uh, starts Ragnarok, essentially. hmm mm-hmm. Is there's a prophecy that's, uh, that ha- comes about, where Balder dies. Baldur is basically Norse mythology's version of like the sun god, essentially. Mm-hmm. And um, so his mother, I think, I think it's his mother has the prophecy. Remember, folks, I am not an expert on this. I'm just someone who's very passionate about this stuff. So please forgive me if I am uh, misconstruing something or not pulling, you know, showing off something correctly. But uh, Balder was prophesied to, to die. And uh, so what his mother did was she went around to everything in all of the nine worlds and made them swear an oath that they would not harm Balder. And that included, like, the rocks, the trees, the wind, and the water that no harm would come to balder so what happened then is after they did all of that the one thing that they left was the mistletoe the mistletoe was so innocent that it couldn't do any harm or anything mm. and so what the gods then went and did is they started playing with each other and started throwing things at balder because he's invulnerable right so they start throwing things at him and there's this one god who's blind and loki goes over to them and says, hey, you should get in on this fun." And he's like, well, I'm blind. He's like, Loki's like, don't worry, I'll guide your hand. And puts mistletoe into his hand and throws it at Balder and the mistletoe kills Uh Balder. Then what happens is this one person named, I think it's uh, Hermod, goes and uh, rides Sleipnir, Odin's horse, rides to hell, which is... The ruler of the dead. I know, very creative, right? Um, <laughs> and uh, and they find uh, Balder is there, you know, held uh, by Hell. And so Hermod asks her to let him go, to let uh, Balder go. And Hell's uh, response to that is that uh, basically prove it, show me that everything in the all the nine realms will weep for his death and mourn him
1: mm-hmm.
2: same kind of thing goes around to not just the, all the people and all the humans but also like to the, the cows the sheep the grass the trees the wind the rocks everything weeps except for this one giant talk or tack or something like that I can't again I can't remember like, I'm trying to look it up real quick but I can't find it off the top of my head and um, this person does this giant does not weep and does not mourn Baldur's death. And everyone is pretty sure that that giant is Loki. So this is a, a female giant who is Loki. And then you also have um, the horse thing, which is what we were getting at before. Yeah. Um, there's, <laughs> yes. there's a myth where um, the, the long and short of it is a stonemason comes and bets that he can build a fortress wall around or the home of the gods in a certain amount of time, the gods think that it no harm will come of this. So they that um, he won't be able to do this at all. So they bet uh, the stonemason says, like, hey, if I do this in this time, I want to win the hand of the lovely, beautiful Freya. And Freya is like, what? But they also, again, don't think he can do it. And Loki says, well, you know, he's, he doesn't really stand much of a chance. Why don't we give him a little bit of a fighting chance, right? We'll let him use his horse, but no one else can help him. And so because of this, they realize, oh, hey, this uh, stone Mason's doing really good. Like, he's kind of killing it. He's probably actually going to make this deadline. Loki, you got to do something about this, man. You're the one that said he could use the horse to pull his cart. You know, you're responsible for this. Go do something. What does Loki do? Loki turns into a mare, seduces the horse, (laughs) and runs off into the forest. (laughs) (laughs) The Mm, the stonemason becomes angry, reveals that he's a giant, and Thor kills him. And then later, (laughs) Loki comes back, and he has given birth to sleep near Odin's horse. Which, also, I might add... It begs a lot of questions about the card Cosmos Charger that exists in. <laughs> <laughs> what does that mean? Well, what, it, what what kind of nonsense this? Well, is... What does it mean? Is, what, is, what, what is did uh, this... What kind of nonsense is, is Tibble <laughs> getting into?
1: <laughs> <laughs> Which that actually Tibble. brings up a really good point is what is your, you know, your favorite aspects of Norse mythology that have been represented in the cards of Kaldheim so far?
2: I mean, just that's everything. Like, there's, there's like, everything feels like it's being represented really well. Again, that's kind of what I was getting at a little bit before when I was talking about the Surtland Frostpire, right?
1: Yeah.
2: Um, the reason yeah. I love this is Surtland Frostpire, which uh, I'll also have some more to say on some of that in a second. Surt is the fire giant in the story of Ragnarok who brings about the decimation of all the nine realms and burns them all to the ground. So when I see Sir land, Frostpire, which is the land of the giants, that deals two damage to all creatures and is burning them to the ground, the flavor there is just so good. That's so good. And there's a a constant recurring theme of fire and ice in Mm -hmm. um, Norse mythology. You see that there, it's very present. The There was the land, uh, Slumber Mound, and it's the land where you can sacrifice it and use its ability, and it destroys a land and you make a troll. So you are making a troll from the land itself. Which again, is like a very Norse thing that happens in like some of the stories. Like the origin stories basically say like, man and woman were basically made out of clay and then given life, you know?
0: That's that's such a cool way of I didn't even think about it like that. I was just like, oh maybe you just you just like kicked this mound yeah. of dirt over in the troll post. So um, you
2: know, and there's there's a lot of really cool ways that they went about things. I really like that the Valkyries are white and black for example yeah because they are more just like your typical angels kind of thing in other stories but you also have uh the fact that they are known as choosers of the slain they go Mm -hmm. into the fields of the dead after a battle and pick the ones to come to valhalla and the ones to go to freya's realm which i can't remember the name of off the top of my head and so the the common Misconception is that if you die in a glorious battle, you will go to Valhalla. That's yeah. not always the case. You sometimes go to a, glo- a beautiful field of flowers in Freya's realm 50% of the time. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah. It, it's Ascent of the Worthy was just previewed today. And the art on that card and just the story is so freaking amazing.
2: The gods themselves are very cool. And I really like... Their, how they're kind of playing with a lot of the themes with a lot of it. Like, when you see Torov, right? Clearly Thor. <laughs> yes. Clearly Thor. <laughs> it's not even a question. Alrind is clearly Odin. You know, everybody mm-hmm. knows who these people. Uh, Valky, which is Tybalt. Everybody knows that that's Loki. It's, there's a couple of them that are very clear and plain as day. But then there's other ones, right? There's ones that actually aren't as obvious. As Sika, which is that the one with the, the chariot driven by the, the cats. It's great because that's a Freya thing, right? But I have
0: wanted this card for two yeah, years. Right? No, sorry, I'm it. very
2: excited. So it's no, I love it too. You've seen my plaque that I have. I have an actual like wood burning plaque with Freya riding her boar. And it has two cats underneath it. It's great. Yeah. Um but you also have other aspects to that same god yeah. that aren't really Freya. They're more mm-hmm. Heimdall, which is mm-hmm. um, you know, the person who is like the the guard the
0: The Guardian of the Ways almost. Yeah, like kind of like runs. the the yeah.
2: um Bifrost and the Rainbow Bridge, which is what's mm-hmm. depicted on Asika's card. But you also see a lot of Asika has to do with.
0: Idun, um, I think.
2: Elix- yeah, Idun was the mm-hmm. one I was getting at. And Idun is the one who has the, uh, the golden apples that give, are basically the uh, elixir of immortality for the gods. And what happens, there's a myth where the apples get stolen and uh, all the gods start to wither away. And I think Loki goes after. I was just reading the myth again, like a day or two ago, and I can't remember exactly what it happens in it, but um, the, the I, it's giant, a like, pretty
1: repeat thing in Norse mythology that Loki screws something up, and then they make him go fix it, which usually ends up bad for Loki.
2: Yeah, and um, but the, the the apples get uh, brought back and stuff like that, and you do see a, a bit of that with a seat you know. Because the card of Asika is shown like under the world tree, which looks very much like you know tending to apples. And then you also have mm-hmm. that same kind of elixir uh, sort of thing represented again be- with uh, the reprinting of Revitalize.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: So, like, some of these gods have multiple different characteristics. Some of them don't feel like any god I've ever seen before. Like, when I see um, Egon, which I can't see that card without thinking Ghostbusters. <laughs> yeah. No. <laughs> um, I just can't. But you know There's Yorn.
0: Yeah. I'm not sure what Yorn Okay, so Yorn I, I actually know. Oh okay. Your, I was just like he's just very sexy and has a lot of stoats. He has a, a coterie <laughs> of Stotes. A a stotery, if <laughs> you will.
2: So um he is actually more of like a gender bent copy of uh Scotty the mm. who is the Norse goddess of like winter snow skiing, things like that and she's actually like she is like actually a giant but is also like a goddess and that's this is another thing you see a lot in Norse mythology is that there's a lot of details that are actually kind of vague mm-hmm. and because again like I said remember how there I, I mentioned that there are a lot of ways to like name the characters and depict the characters like, Odin, for example, let's just say Jesus, him as just a very quick example, right? A lot of people know him as being spelled O-D-I-N, but there's also like... Woten. Yeah, Woden, and there's also like Odin, as in like O-D-E-N. Yeah. And there's there's a lot of different ways that these characters, these names are spelled. Obviously, there is a vast land and sea and everything where these tales travel, and think about, like, a game of, like, telephone, right? These are these are not tales that were actively, like, written down until, like, hundreds of years after they first started. So they there's a lot of variations and differentiations between a lot of them. So there's a lot of vagueness with a lot of them. In fact, I know Ethan uh, Fleischer was talking about this in a nice long thread where he was detailing a lot of details and actually said that that was one of the things was, like, yeah, Some of this stuff is really vague, so we're just kind of working with it the best we can and trying to make things work. So, and it does really show that in, in a lot of regards, but um, but yeah, I know like Scotty is the um, the goddess of snow and all that, and goddess of winter, Yorn is the god of winter, so pretty cut it and makes dry. Makes sense, <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah.
0: I, I also really enjoy the um. The representation of, and I don't know if you, if you, if you have more to say on this, I would love to hear your interpretation, but like the animals of the set are so, yeah. are really like, they, I feel like they are very front and center almost. Yeah. And especially since we see so much of that changeling and shape shifting within Norse mythology, we see this here.
2: Yeah. And, and there is a lot of that kind of stuff too, with um, obviously Norse mythology. One of the things that got me excited the most when I saw it was, um, for example, of the World Tree itself, yeah, which is just called the World Tree in time, but is uh, Yggdrasil in, um, in Norse mythology. When I saw that, I'm like, there has to be a legendary squirrel. We have to get Ratosker. Like, there's just we have to, right? So when they finally previewed, God, what to- Tosker? Yeah, Toski, <laughs> bearer of secrets. I've lost it. So the the thing with this is there in uh, in Norse mythology there's the uh Yggdrasil which obviously is the world tree and the squirrel Ratatoskr goes up and down it delivering messages. There's an eagle sitting at the top, doesn't have a name, and a dragon at the bottom named Nidhogg, I think it is. And he the the Nidhogg bites at the the base of, at the roots of the tree and there's like stags that run around it as well so there there is definitely a lot of like animal representation in a lot of these you know stories and imagery <laughs> and uh, Tosker delivers messages between the eagle at the top and uh, the dragon at the bottom and it's usually, like, insults between the two of them.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I was imagining just, like, a texter's, like, sup? Yeah. So when You so up? When <laughs> it's actually, like, you so up? <laughs> so
2: when I saw the, like, most people didn't notice. That they just saw the squirrel front and center. But if you actually look at uh, Toski's tail, there's, like, messages inscribed into his tail. And I lost my mind when I saw it. I'm like, that is so, uh, it's, like, subtle enough that people might miss it. But when you actually see it, it's just and you understand that lore behind it's. Oh my god, it's so good! They did such a good job with it.
1: Oh, I hadn't even noticed that. Yeah, like you mentioned, and I even knew about the squirrel, but I didn't notice in the art the messages in the tail. That is so cool. I
0: I saw the messages in the tail because I remembered that, and I also freaked the heck out. I was also like, "Oh, M G bearded squirrel, what?" But yeah, (laughs) Toski is is just a beautiful like. In and of itself, I feel like that character yeah. really manifests almost like the ethos of this set.
2: And that was one of my other favorite things was the card um, that we we got the card uh, yesterday, which was uh, or two days ago or something.
0: It's pandemic time. We all all yeah. days Portuguese together. <laughs> yeah.
2: Well, this this was uh, uh, so when this card was previewed it was in uh, like I think Portuguese or something. So I didn't. I don't know that I didn't know the name of it off the top of my head, but it was uh, In Search of Greatness. And it has Toski with a wolf, which I would think is uh, Sarulf, who is like the Fenrir thing, which was actually another thing I was going to go into. Um, Fenrir obviously being the the giant wolf. So I think I don't think In Search of Greatness necessarily features uh, Sarulf, but definitely like a wolf. And it's, just, it's gorgeous artwork, and it has Toski there with his uh, message tail flitting all around, and it's just beautiful artwork.
1: Yeah, so much of this artwork is yeah. just
2: amazing. It really, really is. I, I think they really captured the art well, the style. There's there's a lot that is just really done fantastically. It, This world feels like it's vibrant. It's full of life. It's got its own unique look to it. Like, we really haven't seen anything like this in Magic before, ever. And and that's even when we've had sets that have actually had some degree of you know, Nordic influence to them. Think mm-hmm. like uh, Ice Age mm-hmm. with uh, Yeldor and stuff like that. If you actually go into um, the, the set Cold Snap, there are actually Jotuns, mm-hmm. which is the Norse term for Giants. So, like, here, they're not called Jotuns, but, you know, they... this. <laughs> I just feel like we haven't seen anything like this ever, even, like, in those times where we saw sets like that. And it's just such a cool, unique yeah, look to everything.
0: I, I think that it's so interesting that you bring up, like, comparing this to other sets, because the, the nearest set I can think of that is similar is, is Theros. And Theros mm-hmm. feels... So different as a set than call time. I mean, call Literally time does a lot of the scenes are at night, night because I mean, like up when you're far, that far up north, like the nights are so long, mm-hmm. and I think that they really captured a lot of that. There's still sunlight. Yeah.
2: yeah, yeah. You see, you see a lot of the northern lights in a lot of these cards. And it's just beautiful.
0: And it's it's so much more. Again, we see those animals. We see it's it's like this really rich textures of like fur and mm-hmm. metal and wood whereas in theros we had like it was like sun drenched because it's the mediterranean but even then like there's less animals more people because like that is how the belief system of theros works
2: right and i felt like i, I never really got the same kind of feel from like theros as i am getting with this like this just feels like a whole nother level honestly to me a lot of times i think yeah. a
1: lot of that just comes also it's at least my feeling is that so much of greek and roman mythology just became part of you know general western european culture
2: right calm if because now. of a lot of it
1: was written down just became part of it. So, like, I mean, it's not, like, high fantasy, you know, like Eldrain, but it still felt like a lot of the tropes were the same.
2: Yeah. And that is the thing you, you you get, too, in Kaldheim, is that, like, if we're being frank with a lot of this stuff, a lot of high fantasy stuff that we actually know from at least, like, a modern sense.
1: Elves and dwarves and everything. You know, it's all Norse mythology. Yeah, that's
2: Tolkien. Uh, well, that's what I'm but getting at. He a lot stole of it, but yeah. A lot of it's based on Tolkien, but Tolkien's material was pretty clearly based on a lot of Norse mythology. Mm-hmm. The whole, for example, a large chunk of the Hobbit takes place in the Misty Mountain with smog, right? And mm-hmm. guess what happens with that? A dwarf king amassed a mountain of riches, uh, became m- maddened by it, attracted a, j- a dragon to it. The dragon took over and uh, took the hoard for himself. You know what the story is pretty much like? The Norse mythology of Fafnir, which is also represented in uh, the card Magda, uh, Brazen Outlaw. Magda mm-hmm. isn't obviously like exactly Fafnir, but it's the same kind of thing. Um, Magda is the one where whenever a dwarf you control becomes tapped you create a treasure token then you can sacrifice Mm -hmm. five treasures and you search your library for an artifact or a dragon put that onto the battlefield. So it's the same thing. You amass a hoard of treasure and that attracts a dragon. And Mm -hmm. um, the story of Fafgir was that basically um, a dwarf king acquires a mass of gold his son kills him which, again, this kind of goes back to the, um, the Hobbit where the dwarf king's son comes back to reclaim the gold. Mm-hmm. But the dwarf's son kills him, takes the gold for himself. The gold is cursed. And he slowly becomes corrupted and turns into a dragon. Wow. And so he becomes a dragon hoarding over this mountain of gold and treasures and stuff like that.
0: It's so interesting that you mentioned that because, as you're correct, I feel like a lot of modern high fantasy is based off of Tolkien and in in turn has its roots within Norse mythology. So in a way, thematically speaking, this set feels more like a sibling to Eldraine than it does Mm -hmm. to Theros, right? Mm -hmm. Because in Eldraine, we've got all these other, like dark myths and stories that are are part of our cultural lexicon
2: right and when you consider a lot of that too it's like um Eldraine is based on like Grimm's fairy tales which are German and Norse mythology isn't really just necessarily like Scandinavia like not just like Norse but it's like Germanic and um Anglo-Saxon which is like Britain and stuff like that so there's,
0: yeah, there's, like, Celtic stuff, too. Right, so Celtic, yeah.
2: Celtic stuff has a lot of overlap with that kind of thing, too, and a lot of similarities. That's why you could see a lot of uh, similarities from uh, Lorwyn to Eldraine and why they have so mm-hmm. very, like, they feel very similar. And that's why, like you said, you know, Kaldheim feels very similar to... Kind of both of those sets in a way, one way or another, yeah. you know? I mean, when when they're
1: based off of history of, you know, a thousand plus years of groups that kept conquering each other, you know, there's going to be some overlap.
2: Right, which is a great thing. I, I yeah, love it. it I is. think it's great. I think it's fantastic. But there's like all other kinds of things that I'm just like so enamored by with a lot of the set, like sagas.
1: The sagas like, have been amazing.
2: Most people don't realize that the, that the term sagas is actually based from Norse lore norse mythology that if you actually go on to like dictionary.com i even had this in my article which was the the mythology behind call time it was like covering some of the stuff that was released in the first couple days of call time so like i definitely want to revisit that with another article at some point because there's just so much depth to this set that, that i just love it but the first definition for a saga is a medieval Icelandic or Norse prose narrative of achievements and events in the history of a personage, family, etc. And then it's any narrative or legend of heroic exploits, which is Mm kind of how we've come to know it in magic. But, like, Mm -hmm. you just, it's almost like you just can't have Kalheim without sagas, just from that sense. Plus, frankly, sagas are just some of the best design we've seen in magic in, like, several decades. So.
0: Oh, yes, absolutely. That that actually goes segues perfectly into like mechanics. I I mean I love this idea of like sagas returning home, almost as it were, to a setting that birthed them, mm-hmm. culturally speaking. But there's all but you said like there's this like thing of exploits of heroism of like conquest and glory and and discovery that's part of this culture and this mythology, but we also see, like that within the reflected in the mechanics as well. So like, for example, boast, I know that you had some thoughts about um, boast in particular.
2: Yeah. So like boasting, and this is me like knowing a bit about like modern day, like Norse paganism and stuff like that. Again, I got I don't claim to be an expert. I haven't really explored a lot of this because, and frankly, I haven't had the real desire to because of a lot of the, neo-nazi kind of stuff which i you know i don't necessarily want to keep bringing up but it's like it's hard to escape that when it's it's so intermingled into this kind of thing but there's a thing in a lot of like uh rituals with norse uh paganism called like a uh, bloat which is like a uh, spell like b-l-o-t there's you know obviously different spellings of this kind of thing but it's you it used to be like a blood sacrifice you you would actually give like you know sacrifice like animals and you know things like you know sometimes you sac- do like more human sacrifices that's where like if you've seen midsummer that was a lot of that was based on actual like things that used to actually happen but there's elements to that ritual that involve like sitting around a table passing a horn around uh full of like meat or something and sitting there and boasting about your achievements and your accomplishments and your things like that Like, boasting is, like, an actual, like, big kind of, like, Norse thing Mm -hmm. in terms of, like, that Norse mythology, Norse paganism. And frankly, I saw that in leaks, right? So everybody saw the Borenklex leak, you know, if you were paying attention to that, of course. Not saying that you should be or anything like that. But, you know, if if you did, people were all focused on, like, hyper-focused on, why the hell is Borenklex on Kaldheim, Right. I, saw, I, however, saw the Boast card before they previewed Boast, and I was like, oh my god, <laughs> they gave us this? They gave us Boast as a mechanic? Yeah, you know, I was it's like, <laughs> so
1: flavorful. I I love that as a mechanic.
2: Yeah.
0: Yeah, um, it's it's great. Fortell Fortel is also fantastic. That was yeah. the other thing go I was going to go
2: into was Fortell. Prophecy is a huge thing in, like, Norse mythology. Obviously, like I said, I mentioned that with Balder, but the whole prophecy with balder is that was actually supposed to represent the start of ragnarok which is the end of everything one thing that is very like specific to norse mythology compared to like a lot of other religions of like anywhere is that everything dies and there's like actual finality to everything Mm -hmm. which is why like when i saw that the gods can actually die in this set Oh, boy! You know, everybody was like, Oh, thank God the gods can actually die in this. Oh, my God. I don't want to get another <laughs> scare god situation. But for me, it was like, those ones make sense, right? The gods are immortal. They don't die. They're omnipresent. They always were and always are. In Norse mythology, though, the gods can, like, come and go in power kind of thing. In fact, there are actually multiple groups of gods. The one everybody knows is, like, Thor Odin. These are the Aesir. But then there's also the Vanir, which is like uh, Frey, Freya, and Njord, were all brought over in like a truce to end a war between the Vanir and the Aesir. Through all of this, the gods could die. And in fact, during that war, the gods that the Aesir send over to the Vanir actually get killed, <laughs> and, they're, uh, and they send back the. The head of one of them to Odin himself. <laughs> so when, when I saw that the gods could actually die, that was another mechanic thing. It was like, everybody was just like so happy, like, oh, I don't need to deal with, you know, I can actually get rid of these damn things. And it's like, well, it's actually just a flavor thing. And I love it. But that was the whole thing with Fertel, though, it was like Ragnarok was never told as a myth. Like it's not portrayed as a thing that happens. You know, like you see the story, uh, like going back to the Greek mythology, things like um, Prometheus, that's what I'm thinking of, is portrayed as he is the person who gave fire to man, right? And it's something that happened. It's an explanation for things that have happened or that are happening. Ragnarok is a prophecy and isn't shown as something that did happen, like, a lot of stories would be, but it's shown as something that will happen. So it's it's portrayed as a prophecy, and that's the thing. A lot of prophecies are a, a common thing that happens. So Fortell, in terms of, like, flavor, is right at home in a set like Haldheim. Like, it's just, it, it fits so well.
0: Yeah, and it feels different than Scry. Right because oh, yeah, yeah, because in Theros like prophecy is also a big thing in Greek mythology, Oedipus, for example, mm-hmm. um, and and other things, but I, I always got the feeling like in Greek mythology, it was always just like very specific
1: mm-hmm. and
0: very much the now, whereas things like Ragnarok like that is. A big thing. now that there aren't smaller, like, prophecies and whatnot within Norse mythology, but the right, big one Right, that was,
2: ones. like, the big, big one.
1: One of the big differences is in Theros, and like, Greek mythology, prophecies are something that the gods give to humans. hmm Where in Norse mythology, the gods are just as beholden to the prophecies as anyone else.
2: Right. And there's... There's several other things, you know we're going on to all the other mechanics and everything. Yeah. Obviously, snow is a big mechanic, but that's because it's it's Norse. It's it is in the, like the snowy parts of the world. And then you've got things like um, shapeshifters and uh, changelings. Like I was obviously talking about Loki before, but Loki is not the only one that changes shape mm-hmm. in these stories, not by a long shot. even then, even that, even that Odin same loves- story, and I was mentioning that. um... There's the Jotun that turns into a stonemason and then turns back into the Jotun later in the story. There's Odin who frequently travels as other people, which mm-hmm. we've already seen in that first story with Kaldheim, which mm-hmm. had uh, Alrand posing as just a random person yeah. uh, with Runei's uh, ship, right? Uh, I know there's, like, stories where, like, Odin... You know, basically, like bursts into someone's home and starts bur- boasting about things that he knows about and things like that, and tell you know tells people about things that he knows. <laughs> I'm trying to think of some other Odin's
0: Kool Aid Man moment.
2: Yeah, but <laughs> excuse me. There, there's just like so many you know clear cases of these things where like the gods just travel all over the place because that's the thing they like travel and know know the goings on of the worlds. Which, again, is what Alrun is doing in that story. Um, the other one was uh, that I was thinking of was Heimdall actually goes and starts having a romantic kind of relationship with some uh, women in Midgard, which is the world of men. And the children she gives birth to basically starts the line of Danish kings. So, oh, wow. So, like, it's something that you see a lot of. And just like, it just, it's so on point with a lot of that, you know?
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. It's it's so beautifully done. I really wish we had at least another set to really oh, explore the 10 different realms. Um, they all look amazing. I really want to see what it's like on, like, Basically, just do like an Epcot tour. Yeah.
1: Um, yeah.
0: Actually, wouldn't that be epic? That's like the most epic oh. Viking thing I think of. Let's have a drinking tour of all time <laughs> I'm not going to lie. just drink around the world. Drink around the world tree. Right.
2: I'm not going to lie. Callheim is one of those sets that makes me really, really miss blocks the way they used to be. Mm-hmm. I think I miss it for a lot of reasons. I think magic has suffered since we lost the three set block. Mm hmm. And I think that was because there was a lot more mechanical cohesion with a lot of things. The worlds worked with each other. Even when they said they were sizing it down to two set blocks rather than just no blocks at all, was that they were concerned about complexity creep. Have you all looked at this set?
0: <laughs> <laughs> it is. Yeah. It is so. It is so
2: very okay, complicated. Okay. Like
0: I, I tried. I tried looking at it, and I was like. I'm just gonna look back at the okay. really pretty art. So have, have, <laughs> gonna... have you
2: have you read the card Aegir, the Freezing Flame?
0: Not yet. Okay.
2: Okay. Uh, let me let me read this one. It is one blue and a red for a three three legendary giant legendary creature giant wizard. It's uncommon, and it says whenever a creature or planeswalker an opponent controls is dealt excess damage. If a giant, wizard, or spell you controlled dealt damage to it this turn, draw a card.
0: Oh, God, that one. Yeah, yeah. No, that was ridiculous. Like, I was like, okay, so you've got to check for, like, at least three different things to happen in like, order for this effect. <laughs> and it's like,
2: it's that, just so many that's going to be a lot of, of fun. And it was like, yeah. it took me, like, yeah. three times to read, like, and understand what that did. And I was like, what is going on with this thing?
0: I am looking forward to trying to play this set. Yeah, I, I am very much looking forward to trying to play it because I think it's going to be a challenge, but a, a good one. Right. So, I'm looking
2: forward to I think yeah. the limited environment is going to be like fantastic, though. Like It looks like it's going to be a lot of fun to play.
0: Yes, I am very excited to draft this set. And the little bear thing in arena.
2: <laughs> I forgot about that.
1: What's your favorite card that's been previewed so far?
2: All right. So I don't really have, like... A single favorite because i'm just in love with the whole set in general but I, I could talk about a couple things that we haven't really talked about at this point so far so one of my favorites is Koma, cosmo serpent mm-hmm. he, obviously he's like the big serpent he is he is Yormagander, who is one of loki's uh children that he has with uh anger boda i believe her name is who is a giant and she gives birth to Jormungandr, the, world, the serpent that encircles the world and bites its own tail. Fenrir, the wolf, who one of the gods keeps as a pet until he grows too large and too vicious. And they have to bind him, which is how Tyr loses his hand. And mm-hmm. then they give birth to Hel. And everybody knows Hella in Thor Ragnarok these days, right? As, oh, she's Odin's... Original son? Well, mm, not really. Yeah. She is the son of Loki and Angerboda. And she's half alive and half dead. Yep.
1: Which, yeah, which is why say. Odin like like nope, nope, just get the heck out of here and tosses her.
2: <laughs> yeah, they, <laughs> yeah. Odin exiles Hell to Helheim, which is in one of the realms of the giants. I believe. And that's where it becomes like the land of the dead. And then there's um, Jormungandr who gets thrown into the sea, which then he grows large enough that he encircles the world, bites his own tail. And when he releases his tail, that's one of the signs of Ragnarok. And then Fenrir again was kept as a pet and then grew to be too large and too unruly. And so they had to bind him. And he's, he stays bound until the start of Ragnarok. Mm-hmm. But, like, when I see Koma, Cosmos Serpent, and I'm not even talking about the original, the you know normal pack one. I'm talking about the cool uh, showcase version. Mm-hmm. And I think, look now that I think about it, I'm looking at, like, not just this showcase version, but, like, several of the other ones look like they're in basically whatever the Kaldheim version of Ragnarok is. Yeah. Like this looks like it's in a Ragnarok type scene, which is unknown person battling coma in like a raging sea and stuff like that. And you know what? This is clearly referencing. This clearly looks like somebody found the cover art for a Monomarth's album, uh, (laughs) Twilight of the Thunder God and made this out of it. (laughs) Cause, Mm. What happens is at the end, in one of the climactic battles in Ragnarok is Thor, who is generally seen as the nemesis of Dormagander. They do, they finally do battle and Thor kills Dormagander, but then takes nine paces. You'll notice there's a lot of um, use of the number nine
1: Mm.
2: and like the number five, I think is another big one. He takes nine paces and then collapses and dies dead on the ground from uh, Jormungandr's poison. So, when I see this, this is a representation of that battle happening. Now, Mm -hmm. what I've since learned is that we also have that newer card, Finn the Fangbearer, that was previewed today when we're recording Mm -hmm. this, who is... One in a green, legendary creature, human warrior, death touch, one three. Whenever a creature you control with death touch deals combat damage to a player, that player gets two poison counters. But the real trick there is the flavor text, which says, Uh Come, coma, and reclaim what you lost. Or does the Great Serpent fear a rematch? We have Thorolf, who is a clear-cut Thor analog, right? Mm -hmm. This character... Is clearly riffing on part of Thor's mythology from the original myths. In that he is the one that does the battle with Koma and instead of Thor doing the battle with Normangander. So it's it was very interesting to see this popping up. Um, so I, I just I really like that dynamic between those two. I like Carter and Carter's vicious return because it looks very much to me like this demon is kind of supposed to be the Surt, uh, Surtur, um, analog for Kaldheim, where he looks like he's coming back to burn the world to the ground. And that's the thing, like, they, you know, they added demons. Demons aren't really a thing in Norse mythology, at least not that I'm aware of. So, like, seeing them in here was a little jarring, but, like, they're making good use of it. Essentially, it's kind of where I, mm-hmm. I feel when I look at it. And it's clear that they brought it in because demons are one of magic's really popular creature types, you know? And does fit the aesthetic really good, if not the mythology. Right, but it looks like he's kind of that yeah. same thing. Like, he's there to, like, he's, he, he's the Doom Scourge. So he's there to yeah. bring Doom, which is what Searcher does. But um, the one that I really, really liked, the one card that I really, really enjoyed, when I actually looked at what this card is doing, is the Trickster God's heist? I love this card so much. So you have to look up the art for this card. You just you have to. It's beautiful artwork done by Randy Vargas, and it's one of the one of the sagas. So it shows in the first piece of the imagery, the dwarf Cole holding up uh, the sword, which he clearly forged the cosmos sword that Halvar has on his backside. And it shows Loki or uh, Valky, um, which is Tybalt in disguise. And it shows Valky there waiting with a sword, be- like a sword behind his back. And then in the next uh, image, it shows the dwarf was stabbed with the sword. Uh, Valky took the sword back, and then it shows him actually revealing himself as Tybalt and holding the sword. This is a really clear mythological reference that I think a lot of people might miss if they're not well acquainted with Norse mythology. So there's a myth where Loki goes, hey, I'm going to prank the gods. And as a prank, he goes and cuts off Sif's hair. And she wakes up, loses her mind, and threatens Loki uh, to break every... And I think Thor comes out and threads to break every bone in his body. And Loki's like, whoa, 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 I can fix this. I'll go to these dwarf brothers and have them not only make Seif new hair, which he does, but I can get them to do other things as well. So they, he goes and does that. And the dwarf brothers go and make... Three gifts, and one of those is Seif's golden hair. I think and, one's Mjolnir, right? Yeah. Uh, Mjolnir. Well, yes, but no. Uh, two other marvels. Not only the hair, they make the uh, ship Skidbladnir and the spear Gungnir. Ah. And, okay. And and then Loki says, "Hey, these are really nice." And then the way he does says, "I got to get a little more out of this." And he goes to another the dwarf brothers. And says, hey, I bet my head that you guys can't make gifts for the gods as nice as these other dwarves did. And so they make the uh, boar that becomes Freya's. They make the ring uh, Dropnir, which is also referenced in uh, another card from the set called Replicating Ring. Because Dropnir is a ring that every every ninth night it drips out quote- unquote uh, eight new copies of itself so when you look at replicating ring you put a night counter on it and then if it has eight or more counters on it you remove them and you make eight copies of I
1: loved that, that design card. so much when I saw it it
2: was because it, it's it's exactly what it is yeah. it's exactly that yeah. reference. But then, so what Loki does when he's doing this, because he doesn't want to lose, he's like, "Uh uh-oh, I might lose this bet, right? Yeah. Because these are really nice. And so he goes and turns into various different forms to try and distract the brothers to throw them off of their work. And for the most part, he's unsuccessful, except for one part, he comes in as a fly and bites one of the dwarves on his eyelid, and the bite draws blood. The blood runs into the dwarf's eyes, and he has to wipe it away so he, you know, actually see what he's doing. They're in the middle of forging Mjolnir, Thor's hammer, but because of that brief moment where he like wipes his hands away and uh, takes a minute there, the handle actually comes up short. So it's seen as like the one flaw with the hammer. They bring the, all the gifts back. The gods love them, and. Um, even with the Mjolnir's one little fault to it. Because, you know, you think of a hammer, it's got a really long handle. But then you think about, even like the Marvel one, right? Think about how tiny Mm -hmm. that little handle is that, you know, compared to the whole rest of the hammer. It's tiny. And that's actually by design, because that's how it is in Norse mythology. And so the gods love it. The gods determine that the dwarves won the bet. And Loki says, well... To get my head, you'd have to hurt my neck, which was not part of the deal. <laughs> so he gets away with it. Wow. Yep. <laughs> but, but it's clear that when you see the trickster gods heist, that's clearly referencing this,
1: mm-hmm.
2: where Loki goes to go get the these dwarves to make him something for the gods, and then tries to sabotage them. What does he do here? Valky goes to Cole to get the sword made for the gods. Backstabs him, literally uh, shoves a sword through him, and steals the sword for himself so that he can travel between all the worlds and wreak havoc. It, it's so right on point with the, this mythology, and it'll go over so many people's heads. But the moment I actually saw that and looked at it and realized what, it was, what was going on there, I was like, this is incredible, and I love this so much.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, yes. it's it's an amazing set. It's got so many beautiful details, right? And the embellishments that were placed on it, only enhance. Yeah. what's and already like, there. Some not really.
2: In, yeah. really cool things. There's the Arnie slays the troll. Was that one card that was previewed yesterday? I believe, or like very late at night or something like that. And when you actually look at the artwork for that really closely, the artwork for the saga is carved into a horn it's all carving on a horn
1: mm-hmm.
2: it's that's so cool there's
1: so much of it that's just there, there's another yeah, what are good. the artists
2: there's another one yeah another one
0: where I, uh, the artist like carved into a piece of wood right there's that one so yeah, like,
1: they've been doing amazing stuff with the sagas since the beginning with having it show like art representing the stories in the art and I've loved that about sagas since the beginning
2: yeah no they're doing they're doing such a great, great job with it all around and and the way that they represent various places around the plane itself. hmm So I just, I'm just yeah. I'm very impressed with everything. I really like it. Even like all around, seeing all around like uh, a lot of the little details. I actually went off and made like a whole Twitter thread because I was like, obviously people know he's Odin and Odin has his ravens. What people don't know necessarily all the time is that He has some very deep lore context with Yggdrasil. In fact, depending on the translation for the term Yggdrasil, it's sometimes referred to as Odin's gallows. Because Odin Mm -hmm. hangs himself from the tree in sacrifice to himself as a way to gain knowledge. Mm-hmm. And if you look at the card Alluring God of the Cosmos, and you look in the background of the artwork, you can see the branches of the World Tree. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I I love that detail. You you see those branches like in so many different pieces of card art that it really helps unify this idea that all of these are just the the 10 realms right of cal time so, like, well, it's, it's so it cool it was just one of
2: those yeah. it was one of those little details though that most people won't recognize mm-hmm. what that signified but that is like actually significant in that artwork
0: yeah
1: mm-hmm.
0: it's it's such a cool little easter egg well clearly you love cal time i mean Let's say you became a planeswalker, you sparked, you can decide how you spark, Uh, where would you want to end up going? And why?
2: Well, I personally might say like Dominaria or something like that, just because like, I grew up, you know, paying attention to a lot of that stuff. But I guess probably just Ravnica. Yeah. Like, I just, I think Ravnica is just a cool place to go.
0: Yeah, Ravnica is also, like, a very hardcore place to start off, because it's a big city. Right,
2: but it's, like, a cool place, yeah. you know? It's, when we were getting ready for all of this, and I saw this uh, question, I actually went and looked at all the things, that I'm like, okay, uh, Tarkir, uh, overrun mm. by dragons, everything's running around trying to kill you. Cool. Um, Again, Zendikar, yeah. the whole plane is trying <laughs> to attack plane. you uh cool yes. alara yeah. is still reeling from the fact that it all just re-merged together uh new Phyrexia.
1: no uh,
2: <laughs> no just it's just everything's no trying, everything's trying to kill you like
1: yeah i i think ravnica or um kaladesh seem to be the most popular answers yeah. for that Yeah, drain was actually
2: because... one that i thought about too you know Eldrain's yeah, L- pretty tame yeah, there's like a lot of the trickster stuff there, like the fairies messing around with everything. But I think on the whole, it's it's a, actually probably a pretty tame world. It looks very dark and very grim from like all the artwork and everything a lot of the times. But I think the play itself is actually pretty reasonable. Um, one
1: thing you're guaranteed about on Ravnica, at least, is plumbing and coffee.
2: Yeah.
0: Yes. These are important things. Plumbing especially. Plumbing is very important. They have like gutters. They have an actual sewer system. This is, yeah. this is. we cannot stress the importance of these things.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Public works. Yeah, it, was, it was very, very interesting because obviously I'm, one of the things that I've been working on lately is a, a jumpstart talking about the different guilds and I'm actually trying to look up little details about the guilds and I'm like, Huh, I didn't really know that, like, the Golgari actually ran a lot of the plumbing for a lot of the stuff. I'm like, that's interesting.
0: Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it makes sense. Yeah, we do a lot of the plumbing. But it's like... Yeah, the
2: reclamation. Yeah, I'm like, I didn't yeah. think about a lot of that stuff. Like, Yeah.
1: How would your spark ignite? Um, I don't know. <laughs> Bill's winning the Super Bowl?
2: Maybe. I'm not... So, <laughs> I'm not a sports person, but I... Yeah, I gotta rough that home team, you know?
1: Yeah, I, I've been I've been following your comments on that as someone who also grew up in upstate New York and yeah, it's it's been nice to see, even though I'm not a big football person like I was in my youth.
2: Right. Well I, I never understood football. <laughs> I, I I've never been a sports person. I never really got rules for a lot of these sports, even though you know I'm into all these games and everything, I just could never wrap my head around it. But it's just cool to see you know, you see it and watch like the home team, you know, crushing it. So cats or dogs? Yeah, cats or dogs. Mixed, I would say. It depends on my mood.
0: A cat dog. Uh, <laughs> yes, the rare breed. The rare breed um, of cat dog. <laughs> like
2: I like I like cats a lot, but I like dogs too. So I'm like kind of both. Okay, I can't I can't, I can't really choose uh, one.
0: <laughs> yeah, we we love all the animals. What would you say your color identity is?
2: I usually say somewhere in the realm of like Naya. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it is a pretty pretty good way to define myself. People know me as that, like, hard-rocking punk metalhead, so very, like, gruel in that sense. But definitely there is a bit of that, like, weight in there. You know, I am very primarily Red. I am a very, mm-hmm. very passionate person who also kind of gets a little angry a little too easily. <laughs> you know, I when you start to look at a lot of the the identity of what, what Red represents... I am very red. <laughs> oh, yeah.
1: I, I am so core red. It, it's, I, I lean more Guy than Naya, but it, it's very much the same. It's core red, whatever <laughs> you end up yeah. going. Yeah,
0: I'm I'm also more of a guy, but sometimes I think I'm Esper. I don't know. I definitely have a lot <laughs> I, of, like... I'm still figuring you know,
2: that I, out. I, I definitely have a lot more, like, green. Now, obviously, even, like, being into paganism and... Obviously, mm. we're sitting here talking mm-hmm. about natural uh, Norse mythology, which has to do a, a yeah. lot with nature and things like that. It's like, it's just, it mm-hmm. comes with the territory. It's kind of like, just is that thing.
1: So we we've modified our normal question now that Bolas is safely locked in the meditation realm until the wizard decides oh. they need him again and does the comic book thing and breaks him out. But um, <laughs> would you rather fight a hundred duck sized Tybalt or a Tybalt sized duck?
2: And duck. How would you do so? Temple-sized duck, no question. Yeah,
1: um, I mean that does make how, it a little how, easier.
0: How would you try to fight one or the other? Just out of curiosity.
2: Oh so a, a temple-sized duck is just a giant duck, right? Yeah, it, its bites. Yeah. Its bites might hurt a little bit, but like you can fight it off and deal with it. You know, you can, you could probably overpower that realistically with like you know even just like yeah. a dagger or something like that. You gonna do a fight with Tibbles? Hundred Tibbles? <laughs> I don't care what size those things are. Those little, those little bastards are gonna—they're gonna stab at you. They're gonna hit you with fire. They're gonna do all kinds of gnarly stuff to you. No, thank you.
1: Yeah. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I don't know. I think
0: like maybe a fire extinguisher at first might might cause a little bit of confusion, but then like yeah, just run the heck away from a hundred duck sized tibbles. <laughs> I, I feel like ducks are actually like, like a good familiar for Tibble almost because ducks are terrible. it
1: would be a goose. It would be a goose. goose. <laughs> yeah, or a goose.
2: Yeah, yeah a goose also. You should change that to uh, a tibble sized goose
1: Yeah.
0: A tibble sized oh yeah. Does that changes that question. Oh a that's right. <laughs> Yeah, it changes a lot. Would you would you fight a tibble sized goose or would you fight a whole bunch of goose-sized nibbles? I still
2: think a table-sized <laughs> yeah. goose, but they're so much worse than ducks. Uh <laughs>
0: <laughs> it would be a real fight. It would. Well, thank you so much for spending uh, so much time talking with us about how awesome Call dime is. Uh, it's been a real pleasure to have you on really gave us a super deep dive into all of this. If people are looking for more of you, where can they find you?
2: Largely these days, you can find me over at Twitter, Twitter.com slash the Maverick gal, because somebody took uh, the username, the Maverick girl and has never tweeted, followed or anything. Mm. But you can also find me on Twitch at twitch.tv slash TheMaverickGirl. I am less active on there than I used to be, but you might still find me on there. And uh, you can also find my articles. I have an article on CoolStuffInc.com uh, every Wednesday. That That's pretty much where you can find me. Sweet.
1: Thank you so much. This has been fantastic as another absolute Norse mythology fangirl. It, it's been a great discussion, and yeah, I... I've really enjoyed this set. I can't wait to get my hands on it and get those curly, curly foils that I'm sure I'll be (laughs) receiving soon. (laughs) The one thing
2: I really want from this, this is, this is like the one set where I actually wish I could get my hands on a foil rare sheet. I like, Oh yeah, that would be named. amazing I have such a money need
0: I've been thinking about what to make this year for Desert Bus And I just got this crazy awesome idea Which is, what if I did like a porcelain horn Oh man,
2: that would And suck. then I like, oh.
0: did like a saga thing Yeah, and do it. like that would all be kinds that of designs would be on it, it.
2: Yeah. I, I will say oh one thing before we wrap this up. I just have to get it off my chest. I hate the names Axgard and Sertland. I hate mm. them. I hate them so much.
1: <laughs> no worries. I hate yeah. things. That-
2: <laughs> yeah.
0: Understood. Yeah. I guess they were just like it's a place where a bunch of dwarves live. Let's just name it Axgard. Yeah, I get it, but I don't Gimling. like
2: it. I don't,
1: don't know. Like yeah.
0: No. Or something else.
2: It's too on the nose.
0: It's too on. <ominous>. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, then, thank you again so much. We are so excited to have you here, and we're going to be definitely keeping tabs on you as the rest of Caldheim season unfolds. Heck, yeah, Absolutely. Um, thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Goyfs. Thank you again to Card Kingdom and our patrons on Patreon for sponsoring us, for um, making great conversations like this possible. We couldn't do this without you. You are the golden apples that keep us going. <laughs> So with that, I've been one of your hosts, Michelle. I'm Taya. And thank you again to Kendra. And we will see all of you next time. Bye. Bye.
2: Thank you all for having me.
1: Oh, yeah. That would be amazing. Oh. That would be amazing. That, yeah, no, yeah, don't, yeah. Absolutely. And, uh, no. Audacity.